Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, my name is Caroline Stocks, Managing Editor of Porch Health Today, and with me is Brian Jordan, who's an Associate Professor at the University of Georgia. Brian, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Now, today we're talking about infectious bronchitis and specifically vaccinating chicks. Spray vaccination seems like something that is very simple and very routine, um, but there are things that can go wrong. Can you talk us through some of the potential inefficiencies in systems? Yeah, so we've done a good bit of work uh, with both with companies and the lab evaluating the efficiency of spray vaccination, particularly for respiratory vaccines. And we found that there are a couple areas uh, on the spray cabinet that can influence really how well your vaccine moves through the application system, which then influences how well the chicks actually get vaccinated. And a couple of those places are the way the vaccine is mixed and you're mixing and handling in the vaccine lab within the hatchery. Um, the syringes that actually push the vaccine out of the cabinet, and then what type of nozzles you use and what flow rate you get on those nozzles and how that influences droplet size and how much vaccine volume actually gets down to your chicks. And those are the three biggest areas. Now, you've done some research looking into the volume of vaccines that actually reach chicks. What did you learn about application volumes and pressure? Right. So the the volume that we use traditionally has been seven milliliters here in the U.S. um, And nobody really knows where that came from, but that was just where the volume that we've always done. And so we evaluated what larger volumes would do to our application success. And we found that if you use a larger volume of diluent when you dilute your vaccine, so it doesn't actually change the dose, you give the same doses just in a larger liquid volume, Um, that you get a better vaccination, but that's correlated to increasing the flow rate of the nozzle that you're using so that that larger volume comes out without a lot of added pressure and a lot of added shearing force. You get bigger droplets, which carries that volume and the vaccine inside it down to the chicks. So what's the kind of optimum pressure? Have Have you discovered what that is? So the pressure is an interesting thing because there's not really an optimum pressure. It depends very much on what size nozzle you're using and what volume that you want to use to apply your vaccine. So if you're using a smaller volume, say seven milliliters uh, with a small nozzle, you may use a lower pressure than if you're doing a larger volume, say 14 or 21 milliliters uh, in that same nozzle. So the pressure is kind of that one variable that is the last one to be set. Once you decide on which volume you want to use, what once you decide on which nozzles you want to use, how many nozzles, all of those factors, then you adjust your pressure to get it set so that your application meets the speed of your chicks moving through your application system. And how does a producer decide which is the best nozzle or the best type of system for them? Does it depend on their operating system or are there other factors at play? Yeah, so it does depend on the the different settings in their hatchery. And the best way to do that is to have uh, whoever is manufacturing the spray cabinet that you're using, um, most of the time it's one of the vaccine manufacturers, having them come in and sort of doing an audit in your hatchery, evaluating the speed of movement, the speed of chicks moving through your basket, understanding what volume you think you can use based on which vaccines you're applying, respiratory only, respiratory and coccidia, that kind of thing. Uh, And then they can make really good recommendations on what size nozzle, what flow rate, um, what line speed, what pressure, what volume, all of those coming together. So if you've actually um, optimized your your application process, how can you actually check that it's functioning properly? 
there isn't really a way to check in the cabinet on the day that you're using it to make sure that something is not happening to the vaccine, let's say, because they're live virus particles or live coccidiosis. And it's, you know, it's really hard to evaluate a live system in real time. But you can use the thermal imaging camera to evaluate how even your spray is um, from front to back and from side to side in the chick basket. What kind of droplets you're getting? Are the droplets evenly distributed or are they congregating, concentrating on the outside edges or along the center line of your spray? Uh, and then you can look at your take volume measurements coming out of your nozzle. And then the, the thermal camera really gives you an idea of how many chicks are getting vaccinated because those chicks are coming out very warm. Um, your vaccine at the very least is room temperature. So there's a nice contrast in color using a thermal imaging system. Uh, and you can watch these chicks get vaccinated and, and really pick up some, some minor details. And, you know, maybe the spray is starting a fraction of a second too late and you're missing the front of the basket or, maybe your spray is stopping a fraction of a second too early and you're missing chicks in the back of the basket. And so just watching your system operate. And in terms of the, the thermal imaging camera, are there different locations where you can use the camera to actually watch what is happening to the vaccine? Absolutely, I use a thermal imaging camera actually all throughout the hatchery. Um, they're very, very useful tools. You can use them to evaluate the temperature of your vaccine once you have mixed it. And then, you know, once it's being used on the production floor to make sure that it's not getting too hot. Like we've already discussed, you can use it to monitor your spray on the chicks and look at that contrast between the warm chicks and the, you know, at the least room temperature vaccine. Um, you can use it to evaluate your chick temperature, at least external body temperature and how quickly the chicks are drying after you vaccinate. I found that it works really well uh, with hatchery personnel looking at how the chicks are stacked after they're vaccinated and understanding airflow and, and warming and cooling in the holding room where maybe stacks are too close together. You see chicks panting or where they're getting too cold. There's fans blowing directly on the chicks immediately after vaccination and, and chilling them, causing them to huddle. You can see those temperature differences using these cameras. You also mentioned that surveillance is, is part of the answer as well. What should producers actually be looking for in that respect? Absolutely. Vaccine surveillance or, or doing vaccine takes, as we call it, is a really, really good tool to just figure out what your normal is, um, particularly if you're considering making a change in, say, vaccine cabinet manufacturer or vaccine uh, type going from one syrup type to another or one manufacturer to another. In our vaccine surveillance, um, looking at vaccine take program, what we do is we ask producers to go out and take samples, either swabs of the coanal cleft or trachea or just pull tracheas themselves. Um, at about seven days of age. It can be anywhere from five to seven, but seven days is a pretty good average. Uh, and send those in for a real-time PCR. And we'll uh, run PCR on each one of the samples. And so we can give you an idea of number one, how many of the birds actually got vaccine. So how many were positive? And then what is the, the load in those samples? Is it, you know, where we would expect and understanding how these vaccines work or is it, we didn't get a lot of virus in these birds, so maybe there's something influencing our application. And what can collecting this type of data and this type of surveillance tell you in the long term? So the benefits for this are, are just like any other diagnostic um, technology or tool that you're using, is you get to uh, develop a baseline, a normal for your hatchery or for your that particular farm, whatever, they, whatever you know, denominator they wanna use, so that in the future, if, something happens, they can go back and say, okay, well, we see that our takes changed on this day. And then later down the road, this challenge came into play or, or something like that. We've done this routinely in poultry with, especially with serology. We do a lot of serology and develop historical data for different farms or different complexes. 
And this is doing the same same thing, providing historical data for uh, a hatchery and looking at their vaccine application, but it also gives you ideas in real time of flocks that may not be as protected as others. So the message throughout the life of the birds is to to just keep on checking, keep on testing as you go. Exactly, right. And, and this is not something that has to be done every single flock, every day in the hatchery. You know, we normally try to recommend maybe once a quarter going through and sort of, you know, taking a, a sampling from um, different farms doing the vaccine take surveillance, you know, just to make sure that things are working right in the hatchery. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com join.